What's up, everybody? Happy Tuesday. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. And if you guys are regular listeners to this show, you remember that stretch that we called the sports apocalypse. All of a sudden, after months of nothing, we had everything all at the same time. It kind of feels like that right now, except it's holidays plus all the work you're trying to get done before you take a couple days off, and suddenly the NBA opening night is here. And, Courtney, I don't know about you, but uh, I think this calls for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless, because the straight talk of it is I'm still figuring out what teams guys are on and what coaches are coaching, and I can't believe the season's starting. Does it not feel like the draft was a month ago? Oh, wait, that's because it was. And I <laughs> in, still... in Bristol, by the way. That, that yeah. famous old uh, draft in Bristol, Connecticut. I'm still picturing LeBron on the floor of the locker room in the bubble with calling his mom and with a cigar and, you know, all the great stories we heard of their post-game celebration in Disney World. Like, that was also not that long ago. It kind of feels like whiplash here of just how quickly that season ended and how quickly this next one is coming upon us. Um I don't know if I'm ready for it. I don't really know if the players are going to be ready for it, what condition guys are going to show up in, especially those who were just playing in the postseason not that long ago. But I guess it's a good thing that it's the train that never stops and that there isn't this huge lag because it does mean that, you know, with everything starting on time, it gives you the perception, at least, that we're going to have a full season. Um, I just – there's still a lot of unknowns here that I think we just don't really have figured out or at least any sort of – plausible timeline to think they're going to get figured out but it's kind of flying by the seat of our pants just like we did a couple months ago when they went to the bubble yeah and I think one of the funny things about this is is that there have been people arguing for the NBA to start around Christmas in years past because that's usually when we really start to pay attention to it right and so we'll get a look at what it feels like for Christmas uh to be around the starting point for the NBA and we, we played some sound last night in the show from Adam Silver talking about how they just got to be flexible and they got to be able to move with the changing times. And that's why they're releasing schedules a piece at a time. They didn't release the full schedule. We get we get multiple nights of the excitement of schedule release night because they really are probably, I would think, hedging their bets for the potential to involve fans in later rounds of the season. Um, and also... What kind of games need to be made up? Which are the important games that need to be played because of seeding? All those things that are going to come into play if this doesn't end up being a natural and regular season. And, Courtney, there's a lot of reasons to think that may be the case because thus far the sports that we've seen the least affected by COVID have been the NBA and the WNBA and the NWSL, the ones that were in a true bubble. The other sports trying to play during the wintertime with rising COVID cases indoors without helmets or other face coverings, close contact, small rosters are not faring well. College basketball kind of feels like a joke at this point. It's so hard to keep track of when teams are actually able to play that uh, I think there's a good reason for the NBA to be hesitant in how much they lay out and also to be very transparent about their flexibility. Yeah, I mean... They're going through this whole process now without a bubble. But Adam Silver, when he's talking about the expansion of the league potentially, um, had also mentioned the possibility of if there are fans not allowed later in the season, especially for the finals. I mean, you're seeing uh, the Lakers are not going to unveil the title banner that they just won without fans in attendance. That's obviously important. And obviously going forward the season, they want to be able to do that. But if they can't, They'll consider the bubble again. I mean, it was it clearly worked, and it took a 
a lot to resurrect that, or excuse me, to, you know, enact that. But it's, I think we're at a point here where it's like, let's just get through month, week to week, month to month. Um, I mean, I honestly kind of wish college basketball would have done the same thing and you wouldn't be dealing with all of these cancellations that have already happened if those games are going to get made up or not. I, you know, for, for a league that did this the right way back in July when they all headed down to Orlando and the WNBA heading to Bradenton, you know, it seems like at least they're not going putting too much of the cart before the horse here and trying to right. go bit by bit just to make sure that it, it's a feasible it's feasible and that season will happen. Well, and Courtney, you know, part of the reason that the bubble was not the first choice is not just mental health of players and ability to be secluded and length of season. It's the money. That thing cost a ton of money, and it was their only option at the time to recoup the billions of dollars that the playoffs make for them. They feel like they can hedge their bets and sort of straddle the line here where they will have most of a season and make most of the money and have the TV deals and try to you know keep things as on the up and up as possible, even without fans, um, and not do the bubble and save the expense. Um, and, and you're right, though. They may come playoff time again, feel like they need to do that, but they're not going to throw it all out there off the top unless it's required. Um, you can let us know how you feel about the NBA season and anything else we're talking about tonight by being a part of the Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Te- uh, Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Uh, Spain and Fitz Nation, ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. It's official. College football's back, and so is your favorite Dr. Pepper-loving college football town, Fansville. Head to a store near you to treat your inner college football fan to an ice-cold 20-ounce Dr. Pepper today at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Courtney R. Cronin is where you can get to us tonight. We'll be asking you for some worst-case scenarios in the NFL later, so you want to help us out with that. Um, Speaking of, by the way, the bubble and the NBA returning, there's uh, tonight, uh, Golden State, Brooklyn, 7 Eastern start, and uh, so that's right now, and Clippers, Lakers at 10 Eastern uh, so two great games. Our first look at Kevin Durant in 18 months. Uh, the Clippers, after a disappointing finish, taking on the the uh, reigning champs in, in L.A. All good stuff here. Uh, but it feels a little bit strange starting in Christmas. And it feels a little strange, Courtney, because for those of us who have been on the air documenting sports throughout the pandemic, this feels like a very full circle moment. Uh, ESPN just released a podcast called, I believe, March 11, 2020, a 30 for 30 podcast about that night when Rudy Gobert test positive. We were on the air. Spain and company was on the air and getting news via social media. that they're Suddenly the officials are telling everyone to get off the court. Everyone's going back and what's happening. That was sort of like, you know, the Ivy League had canceled their basketball tournaments, their, their championship tournaments. But that was the moment really with Rudy Gobert that everything felt real. We're shutting everything down. And then he, of course, the first person to score in the bubble and now here we are months later starting another season it feels uh it feels strange for all of that to have gone down since march it's hard to believe all that went down since march like i still go back in my head and i feel like we all kind of have this you know relative ptsd of of that happening and how quickly the commissioner came out. I remember Woj tweeting, what, about 20 minutes after they had postponed the game, the refs come back onto the court and and say what's happening, that the season was suspended indefinitely. And, you know, here we are all these months later trying to start this thing up new again when I don't think anybody thought this would have been possible. If you're talking to us, you know, nine months ago in March, uh, figuring out how is this going to happen? How can we play sports in the middle of a pandemic? And I feel like the NBA has kind of been a gold standard, at least for how to complete a season, how to have a true championship, how to do it effectively, how to do it safely. And now I think we're going to be looking at them to see, okay, can you do that truly without 
the bubble element that you had, which was, like you said, they're incredibly expensive. I mean, the NFL's doing it right now, but there's still two months left and, and we're nowhere near complete. And it's outdoors and had, with and massively outdoors. giant rosters. And sure. they're distanced by the nature of the sport most of the game. Like, there's so many differences there that it's no wonder that basketball's struggling. Yeah. No, I mean, it's all eyes will be on, I think, you know, these first few weeks. And, you know, personally, just a tangent here. I like that it's starting at Christmas. Like, I kind of, I always forget when it's like Halloween time or like the week before when they're tipping off the season normally. And it's about two months of regular season, preseason basketball. And I don't typically tune in, you know, truly to pay attention to it until Christmas. I would like to maybe, depending on how this works out, but I'd love to see this continue maybe when we get back to a quote-unquote normal season yeah. or on the I other side of this. I mean, it's something that's been pitched Why for not? a while. So something to keep an eye on. So Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Everything for less, only at Walmart. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, hanging out with you on Spain and Fitz. Coming up next, another Steelers stumble. Do they have a valid excuse this time? Plus the Texans losing on the field and off the field. We'll get into that next. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You get all sorts of pre-party and after-party digital-only content. And uh, if you missed last night's show, we had a lot of fun with Jamel talking about uh, black people's superpowers and the solstice and the uh, Saturn and Jupiter conjunction. I highly recommend it. Uh, Don't miss it. Uh, Basketball is back and it's underway. Make sure to keep an eye out for uh, that action. Uh, we've got uh, we've got the Nets um, and the Warriors playing right now and then the Lakers and the Clippers later tonight. But we also have football coming down to the wire here. And Courtney, we've talked about the Steelers on this show a while, a bunch. And, um, you know, even when they were successful and they were still undefeated, there were certain things that stood out to me. Their inability to run the ball, their inconsistency on the ground. And then... Ben Roethlisberger being inefficient in the air uh, for those stretches, even when they were still undefeated and, and doing well record wise, he was among the lowest in the league in uh, completion yards or yards per completion and yards per attempt. They weren't using the the deep ball and it wasn't 100 percent clear whether it was injury, whether it was uh, offense, whether it was protection from the offensive line. Um, but there were enough excuses in the last two losses, whether that was covid related or games in a short amount of time to feel like perhaps it was a hiccup they would bounce back from. And who better than a two-win Bengals team with a third-string quarterback? Then we see last night. How concerned are you about the Steelers? Quite. Um, I think when you and I were talking about this right around Thanksgiving time, you know, is he going to be a potential MVP candidate? Should we put him in that mix? What if he leads them to 16-0? and And this is the point where they were 11-0. and um, That quickly faded. And... I think when you look at some of the Steelers' struggles, you know, it's not just Ben Roethlisberger. Obviously, there's, like, a lack of physicality there. This team kind of feels soft at some point. I think Mike Tomlin actually called them that and just the way that they've been playing. But every week it's something new in these three losses that kind of makes me wonder how how worthy is this team of being a playoff team to begin with and how far can they go because – Look at it in week 13. That's when they had the weird middle-of-the-week game with Washington. They had seven drop passes in that game. Following up the next week, Ben Roethlisberger in the offense converts 10% of their third downs. Last night, 
or in week 15, they complete, he completed 8% of his passes thrown 10 yards downfield. And obviously you're thinking, okay, is it the elbow? Is it injury? Is it old age? I think it's all those things. But, you know, the cliche of, well, teams, this team finds a new way to lose every single week, they're actually that cliche right now, which is kind of the terrifying thing because they started out so hot. We're talking about history, and that crumbled and came apart in three weeks. Jeff Saturday, ESPN NFL analyst, was on with KJ and Z this morning and said they had a lot of excuses lately. No excuse for losing to Cincy. And that is 100% true, not just without their star quarterback and their backup, a third-string quarterback, uh, star running back, best defensive player, best receiver, got hurt a few minutes into the game. Um, This was a hobbled team that only had two wins anyway and is clearly looking ahead to future years. And you need to get yourself back on track before the postseason because if you head into the postseason with, you know, loss after loss, suspension against teams that you know you should be beating, uh, you're going to look like a pretty easy target to pick off come playoff time. You mentioned some of the struggles last night. They have a lot of injured linebackers. But again, you should be able to, as a team that is in the hunt for the best record or is in the hunt to be considered among the best in the league, uh, you should still be able to beat the Bengals, even with the injuries to their linebackers, even with the slow start, um, which was record-settingly bad. New lows in pass yards, yards per play, match their fewest first downs, most turnovers, all in the first half. Um, it was just an ugly start. They didn't seem ready, and that's also inexcusable for a team that should be hungry to amend their last two losses. Uh, Dan Graziano is extremely down on the Steelers and said this on KJ and Z. Okay, you going that far, Courtney. Is it possible that you look ahead to the Steelers yeah. and their – regular rest of season schedule against the Colts and then the Browns and then whoever they face in the postseason. And we may have seen the last W. Potentially. I mean, the Colts barely got by Houston last week and Houston lost that game on a fumble, which is how they lose a lot of games. But um, they're, they have them at home on Sunday. That's not a gimme. And certainly the way that Cleveland has played throughout this season to where, they could be, you know, potentially vying to jump them in, in terms of the AFC North standings right now. They have them on the road to finish out the season. I am not going to say that that's too big of an overreaction for me. I'd buy into it. Yeah, the Colts have a couple convincing wins. They beat the Titans. They beat the Packers in back-to-back weeks. They beat the Raiders. Um, so, you know, a couple other teams that, you know, weren't as much of a challenge that they got a W over. But I could see them beating the Steelers with that healthy defense and knowing that, there isn't much to need to respect in terms of the deep ball. There was a 23-yard touchdown pass. There was an anomaly last night. But other than that, it was Big Ben being limited to short throws. Um, and that's it, it, what was weird about it is it seemed not only like uh, potentially injury-related, but more about reads, like he was having trouble uh, reading exactly what they were laying out. And, and that's odd from a veteran quarterback. So the Steelers uh, potentially looking for a very sad and bad ending to what started out as a great season. Uh, The Texans never really had a great part of their season. It's been pretty ugly. It started well before the season began with the offseason and the trade of DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, They sit at 4-10 and on the field. It's been really disappointing, especially because Deshaun Watson's been fantastic and so fun to watch, and you hate to see that kind of talent wasted. Uh, But now Deshaun Watson and his uh, Texans brethren in trouble off the field as well. He opened up a restaurant uh, and had some of his teammates come hang out uh, for for the franchise's opening. And there was a social media post. Of course there was, Courtney. There's always a social media post. No one can get away with anything anymore, so I don't know why they tried. But um, six players, no masks, gathered together for a photo. 
Um, you know, he claimed that it was COVID, COVID friendly. They had masks. But he also talked about it was a restaurant, so, you know, we tasted things. So, of course, the masks are going to be off there. And now there have been some fines as a result, not surprisingly. No, and the fact that some people are saying this is a non-story, no, it's not. These players know what the protocols protocols are this year. Yeah, the Texans have been eliminated from the playoffs now for two weeks, but this was happening in the midst of all of that. And if you're going to take a picture, put your masks on. It's just, like, not difficult. I don't know why – Anybody would think that this is okay. Um, and there was also, too, there was a photo shown. There was a reporter, a TV reporter in Houston, who was doing an interview on camera with Deshaun without a mask. Like, that's absurd. Like, that's just, at first off, it doesn't happen. Um, and I'm surprised that they even allowed that reporter to go to the event. But once again, just another blemish for a really bad year for this Texans team on and off the field. And honestly, they are shooting themselves in the foot at this point. Well, and I would love for all the people who are saying this is not a story and no big deal to announce themselves so I can tell them that they are a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Most of us are not around other people without masks. Most of us are not indoors without masks. Most of us are not doing that. And we're not even people whose teams depend on us. Entitlement. Yeah. Spain and Fitz is presented by Progressive Insurance, small business protection for more than vehicles with insurance expertise to keep your company moving forward. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Coming up next, the WTF stay in the news for all the wrong reasons. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. Feels like we've spent a lot of time talking about the Washington football team's surprising results on the field lately. Ron Rivera leading them to some success. A great story of Alex Smith returning to be a starter and their surprising position in the division. Unfortunately, almost every piece of good news this year about the WTFs, as I call them, has been accompanied by disarray and toxic culture around the team. And more to add to that today. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Joining us now on the Shell Penzo Performance Line with the latest on the team is sports reporter for the Washington Post, Liz Clark. Liz, thanks so much for coming back to, to join us. Well, it's a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. So the latest uh, was something in the works. We had heard word of this, and now it's officially out, Um, something that they were hoping to keep wraps on, but the Washington football team paid a former female employee $1.6 million as part of a confidential settlement back in 2009 after she accused team owner Dan Snyder of sexual misconduct. Uh, What can you tell us about how this eventually became public, despite at the time being confidential? Um, yes. Well, hmm. um, it had been alluded to uh, the, the existence of a confidential settlement was first kind of hit the public public documents via a, a court case uh, last week. No, well, actually, a court case that was was filed initially in November by the team's former general counsel. He sued directly Beth Wilkinson, who is the attorney who is handling the NFL's investigation of the workplace culture. Um, the underlying issue in this particular lawsuit, which was filed under seal, um, portions of which have been unsealed, it becomes clear that there's a lot of concern, conversation about information related to a confidential settlement um, that that the the former general counsel would like redacted. Um, the suit has been dropped, but uh, it's parts elements of this 
the documents are are slowly coming out in court in the public filings. So so that's one piece. We as reporters had heard of a confidential settlement um, involving a female reporter for quite some time. I I don't want to date it, but you know many months. It it wasn't spurred by this, but this, of course, got our attention. Um, And then on Monday, uh, in a separate lawsuit, the lawsuit between uh, Daniel Snyder's three co-owners who are trying to sell their combined 40% stake in the team, they've been trying since May to to sell and divest, get out of this this enterprise they've been part of for 17 years. Um, They they sued Snyder directly, even though they have a have a, um, a, a formal grievance that they were hoping the NFL would settle. That that wasn't you know wasn't coming to a resolution. I guess as fast as they wanted, so they went to federal court, which is not something the league likes. Um, sorry to be so tedious. They, so they I, I understand Snyder. that you have to be very careful with the wording on all of this because yeah. it is very specifically and carefully reported and you, you don't want to be You're right. subjected to issues because of misspeak. <laughs> yes, it's painful, but I will truly get to a point. Um, so on, on Monday, in a filing that the three co-owners made uh, again in court against Dan Snyder, they accused him of leaking information that he's not allowed to leak to the media. Um, And the last uh, point that they made in their public filing is that he had been accused of a serious uh, accusation of sexual misconduct. So at that point, uh, it, it, it entered the public, public record on Monday. And then I'm sorry, separately from that, from our reporting, not strictly on court records. Um, one among our trio of reporters was had the opportunity to review the settlement agreement itself, which put the dollar figure to it, as you mentioned, $1.6 million. So you guys have been reporting on all of these allegations for five months now, dating back to the initial story that came out in July. And f- more than 40 women that the Washington Post and your team have spoken with have, have come out saying that they were victims of sexual, um, you know, sexual harassment, what have mm-hmm. you here. Now, but this is the first time that the owner, I mean, he, all the stuff that he oversees underneath him, that's all that we found out for the last few months. But this is the first time that he's actually been implicated here as having done the sexual harassment or sexual assault, what have you. How does that make things different going forward? Because the big picture question is, well, when's the NFL going to say enough is enough? There's already an internal investigation. The NFL launched their own investigation. How does this change things? Because Daniel Snyder himself is actually implicated in this. That's such a good and a smart question. It's certainly tricky for me to predict. It's not really for me to predict. But um, the investigation that was started this summer um, after the first story of 15 women, former female employees, describing a workplace culture of sexual harassment. If you recall, Dan Snyder hired Beth Wilkinson. um, So this was a team-sponsored, team-funded operation. Uh, investigation of the workplace culture. And then the NFL found reason to take 
the the investigation over in late summer. There was a second story that included two a description of two instances that did link to Snyder. Um, one in um, that that these lewd videos were made for his benefit, uh, based on on cheerleader outtakes, and then another involving kind of propositioning a cheerleader or suggesting that she um, spend time with a friend of his. So I mean that that came a bit closer to to Snyder's doorstep, I guess those allegations and. Uh, whether that was what what made the NFL intervene or not, I'm not clear. But it was after that that the NFL said, we will take this over. So I guess the point I'm making is when the NFL intervened, the, the investigation was about the workplace culture. Uh, um, but I would think that if there is, um, you know, if the owner of the team had agreed to pay a settlement uh, of this scale, that would be of interest to the league. How that changes the league's point of view, I don't know. But, And forgive me, I should have said much earlier in our conversation, the $1.6 million settlement, Snyder acknowledges no wrongdoing whatsoever. There's no admission of, of wrongdoing. It's simply a settlement that both parties agree to. So you know, no doubt each side would have a different version of what did or did not happen. We tried very hard to reflect um, Snyder's account of what did or did not happen, um, and we didn't go into to any detail of um, the, the female employee's account of what did or didn't happen. But But what what we were able to report and what the settlement makes clear is the dollar figure. No one acknowledges uh, uh, culpability here, um, but but that it uh, and 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 then the court document that it was about uh, right about reveals the, the actual number. Yes, in right. two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, uh, Liz. This feels like it, an ongoing story. Uh, has mm-hmm. Uh, we will pr- most likely continue to hear, especially if the fighting between the minority owners and Snyder continues. We yes. always appreciate you coming on and uh, giving us some insight on it. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you both. Liz Clark, sports reporter for the Washington Post. I think she was going to say happy holidays. Uh, and happy holidays to you too, Liz. Spain and Fitz brought to you by Shell Pennzoil Synthetic Motor Oils made from natural gas. Gives you unbeatable engine protection. The proof is in the Pennzoil based on sequence for a wear test using SAE 5W30. Coming up next, Dan Snyder. And this latest, is this the straw that breaks the camel's back in terms of his ownership of the team? And also another WTF in the news for the wrong reasons. It's coming up next. If you are curious about the results of the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, Nevada beat Tulane 38-27. But more importantly, Nevada was penalized 15 yards for unsportsmanlike conduct for having too many French fries on the field uh, after they gave the coach a French fry bath. Uh, and as Richard Roper, the film critic, pointed out, they tried to invoke the five-second rule to no avail. Too many fries, Courtney, to be able to pick them up one by one and avoid that penalty. Uh, I was going to say only 2020, but 
I feel like bowls are always ridiculous, and I would not be surprised if there was a fry-related penalty in a previous Idaho potato bowl. Uh, it's like made a of bits. <laughs> greasy disposition. It really, yeah. I don't know if I'd want a head full of fries, uh, but I would take a mouthful. Don't clip that off. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, fill it in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast, get all the good stuff that you miss, including some digital-only content you can only get on the podcast. Uh, NBA has started tonight. Brooklyn up 50-30 to 30 on the Warriors in the second quarter. Our first look at Kevin Durant and Kyrie together and Kevin Durant post-injury. Uh, good stuff so far from the Nets. Spain and Fitz presented by Progressive Insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. We just talked to Liz Clark, one of the authors of the latest story in the Washington Post in a continuing series on the dysfunction and toxic work culture with the Washington football team. And Courtney, as you brought up, the very first story that involved uh, that giant number of women who all reported uh, harassment uh, and, and other toxic uh, interactions with colleagues there at the team, um, several of whom were asked to sign or forced to sign um, NDAs when they made their exit. Um, it didn't implicate Dan Snyder in an incredibly meaningful way or in a way that made people feel satisfied about his role in it. There was a belief, of course, that he oversees the team and that he should be aware if all of this is going on and some of his highest level people. But the connections were not as strong as people who were hoping that it would cause him to have to sell the team might want. Now, as we continue to advance with these stories, and he potentially was one who was given the video of the of the cheerleaders, uh, you know, topless and everything else uh, edited to focus on their naughty bits, uh, to him potentially trying to pimp out a cheerleader to a season ticket holder friend, to now this sexual uh, misconduct. Uh, is this enough? And in a league where we know plenty of other owners are potentially not going to want media digging around in their teams and their houses and seeing what their activities are, will they be the ones that hold his feet to the fire and force him to sell? Because it's usually those other owners that have to make that move. Yeah, and, and with the NFL getting involved, because you, you think now, because this is the first time that an, that Dan Snyder has been implicated Truly, like him himself has been implicated in this um, because the rest of it, the 40 women that the Washington Post talked to in their reporting over the summertime in the article that came out before this one, I think it was somewhere in the fall, um, his name was not directly as accused of some wrongdoing, some alleged wrongdoing. And, you know, I, I think back to the Jerry Richardson case when he was forced to sell the team. Um, and what that could mean potentially for this situation with Dan Snyder in Washington, because for so long people have been screaming, sell the team, sell the team. Hey, NFL, why aren't you doing anything? Get more involved. Well, that case, if you go back and, and look at kind of what happened, what transpired, the investigation, the whole thing, like that kind of set a really high bar for what it will take to punish owners like a Dan Snyder. And so it wouldn't surprise me because there's, you know, if Snyder's going down, he's going to try to bring some of the other owners with him. You can well, almost that's, bank on that's that. That's the thing that's interesting to me. I still feel like there's a story to be told about why Jerry Richardson went so quietly, right? It felt very odd to me. Of course, there were details, uh, gross details, including asking employees if you could shave their legs and things like that. Um, there was a racial slur involved with a scout from another team or from perhaps it was from the Panthers. Either way, there was enough detail in there, but I'm still surprised that Richardson 
didn't put up a fight at all. Usually someone who's guilty of those behaviors believes himself to be so above everyone that they still think they're being wronged when they're when they're outed for it and held accountable. For whatever reason, Jerry Richardson sort of tucked his tail between his legs and left. Uh, we don't anticipate the same thing will happen with Snyder. And, you know, the NF- the only thing I could say about the NFL is that this is not a one-time issue. If they want to wrap it up in a number of other things, they might be able to sell the package as it's the name, it's the public fighting with minority owners, it's, you know, issues with cheerleaders in the past, it's the toxic culture now, it's the continued bad press. And because of all of that on the whole – we consider him to be staining the league and representing our league poorly. And you could easily argue that. It would just be a matter of whether they're afraid of what Snyder will try to do if they push him out. I think at some point that the risk has to be you know, worth it because of just how long it's gone on where he's run that team so terribly. Well, it's just like what more is it going to take? When is the NFL going to say you are – embarrassing the entire league like we can't take this anymore like enough is enough (laughs) I feel like the threshold for that constantly changes it's a moving target um you know there's a 1.6 million dollar settlement here and you have the minority owners who own 40 percent of of this team who have been trying to get out from under Snyder for a long time like there's a there's a court filing yesterday and, and and this stuff comes out of it too and you know this is that's a pretty it's a seven figure settlement and, and like Liz was saying you know if everything here's alleged and we don't you know until somebody is guilty of this we have to speak of it in certain terms that you know acknowledging that there was you know both parties no wrongdoing things like that but you know there was a woman who accused the team owner a woman who was then fired uh, allegedly for cause which I would like to know more about that. That's the part of the WAPO story that I was very confused by. Like, did it stem from this incident on the plane coming back from the Academy of Country Music Awards? Like, what happened in 2009? Why was she fired? And then the team and the woman who was fired went on to kind of create some sort of agreement that she had resigned and then wrote her a letter of recommendation. I don't know. The whole thing smells and it doesn't make any sense. But, you know, why was that undercover for so long? And why is it coming out now? Mm-hmm. I think you can all pull. Why do they work to, so hard? Yeah, yeah. To keep and I it, mean, it's the minority the owners who clearly want nothing to do with this. And I think Daniel Snyder and the infighting that's happening and all pouring out into the public is going to irk the NFL to a point where they say, "Hey, this is this is not how we do business." You know, it, I I, I kind of wish the NFL would step in sooner rather than later on that because they've had this ongoing investigation for months since that first story came out, and we haven't heard the- anything. And in the meantime, of course, uh, there are some great stories around this team. Ron Rivera, who's leading them to success, and Alex Smith coming back in to be a starter. And they're now really competing in that division when a lot of people, especially when the season began with all this conflict, said, you know, this team is kind of a joke. Um, so it's it's too bad for those that are working hard on the field um, to have to deal with this constant cloud of everything going on in the front office. But not everyone on the team is doing their part. Here's Mike Greenberg talking about Dwayne Haskins, who was – photographed without a mask with strippers either at a strip club or in his room. He claims he ordered them to his room and others claim the photo was taken in a club. There is no excusing the transgression in 2020. That is about as stupid, reckless and dangerous a thing as you could possibly do. Because I think we can all assume that if those pictures don't surface, he is back at practice tomorrow surrounded by all of his teammates. And whether they are 
one in 13 as the New York Jets are or the best team in the NFL or what they actually are, which is a team fighting for a division championship, one they can sew up this weekend, he could have jeopardized the entire thing. And not just his teammates, Courtney, the aforementioned coach who is battling cancer. The idea that this guy, who's already been fined for violating protocols by bringing a guest uh, to the team hotel earlier in the season that wasn't approved, and has had so much controversy around whether he really cares, and is he invested, and is he any good, and is he a bust, you would think he would care the most, especially after getting back in and playing and, you know, losing a winnable game against the Seahawks, that he would care the most about, you know, doing things right, following protocol, and staying out of the bad news. He just doesn't care. I think it goes back to, like I said with Deshaun Watson, this athlete entitlement. You're seeing it. You're seeing the worst of people throughout this pandemic. And this is honestly what that relates back to, like Greeny was saying. I mean, it's selfish. He doesn't care. Like, that's the bottom line. Like, you drafted a player, your, your scouts missed because this guy is an idiot and he doesn't care. And it's blatantly obvious. So you played yourself there, Washington. I have no sympathy. I don't think we're allowed to call people idiots, so I'll say he exhibits idiotic behavior. Coming up next, could the NBA give us Supersonics news? Let's get into it. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain with you as always. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast on the ESPN app, on the podcast app, Apple iTunes, all that good stuff. Uh, before we get to... An exciting story for the the northwestern part of the country. There was a fun moment today on The Jump. Take a listen to Rachel Nichols getting to break some fun news. Announcement to make right here on The Jump. What? Drum roll, please. Producer Tommy. Hey, Paul Pierce. What up? Today is when they are announcing the next class of the Hall of Fame. And oh, guess yeah? what? I didn't know that. Guess who's nominated? We are thrilled to tell Am I you. In there? Now, the competitor, I don't like you, but respect you. You know what I'm saying? I've broken every social distance protocol. Oh, we're not allowed to do He's that. He's got to make it through the nomination process oh, I, now. You know, I At least I'm nominated. Let's oh. edit that out. <laughs> Can't edit it out. We all saw it. Uh, they hugged. They hugged. And hopefully everyone's been getting tested and everything else to be in that studio. But a fun moment, Courtney, and certainly fun for colleagues to get to break that kind of news. I remember, uh, you know, we've certainly seen guys being named to the NFL Hall of Fame on air and breaking down and really cool moment. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, I think back to, you know, some of his greatest moments um, and it's see Jimmy's completely deserving of it. And it's a cool moment that he got to share with his ESPN colleagues. I mean, what a career, you know, how far, how far, along he he was in his career too I mean it's I think it's a tremendous honor and you know good for him for being nominated yep and I get the feeling he's uh he's gonna get in I me too that feeling. I feel like everybody gets in <laughs> that's very true uh Adam Silver NBA commissioner uh held a press we're talking about a number of things around this season that uh began tonight um one of those the idea of expansion and the ears of everybody in Seattle perked up when they heard this I think I've always said that it's sort of the manifest destiny of a league that you expand at some point. I'd say it's caused us to maybe dust off some of um, the analyses on the, the, the economic and competitive impacts of expansion. So we've been putting a little bit more time into it than we were 
pre-pandemic, but certainly not to the point that expansion is on the front burner. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're very appreciative of the markets that have indicated an interest in having an NBA team. One of the issues for the league office, and this comes up all the time in terms of competitiveness, I mean, it's, it's not a secret that we don't have 30 competitive teams. Yeah, it's the, it, you know, he, he sort of announces it. You get all excited. He says, it's not that close. You're sad again. He's like, here's why, though, and you're great. And then, uh, you know, so yeah. it's, uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's a roller coaster of emotions there if you're from a place that has an interest in this, Nashville, Vegas, and, of course, Seattle. The first thing anyone thinks about is Seattle, a tremendous fan base who is super supportive of all their sports, who obviously has an incredible basketball uh, audience and does have the Seattle Storm, who have won a couple championships in the last three years. Uh, but Courtney, I I would love to see the Sonics back. I I just I miss that team. I miss their logo. I miss their colors. I miss their history. Like that was a fun team. I have such great memories of them. Yeah, and I guess the one good thing we can say that came from the pandemic is what Adam Silver told Rachel Nichols that they're putting a little bit more time into the thought process of expansion than they were, you know. March 3rd or whatever, like before all this thing happened. And obviously there's financial uh, reasoning behind that because the league, you know, is taking a hit obviously this year with the pandemic. So to expand would certainly, I think, help with that down the line. But Seattle's got to be first in line, right? I mean, of course, Vegas is in there too and there's other cities. But as far as deserving deserving fan bases, deserving cities, cities that lost a franchise for no fault of its own, um, and they kind of got the little pump fake action back in 2013 because they nearly got the Sacramento Kings. Um, So talk about disappointment of thinking you're going to get a franchise and then it goes to the northern part of California. You know, they haven't had basketball there since 2008. Excuse me, uh, NBA basketball, obviously, you mentioned Seattle Storm. Um, but this is a very deserving city. It's a great sports city, as evidenced by all the teams that are there and, and how good a lot of those teams have been repeatedly over the last decade or two. I'd love to see basketball back there. I mean, the Pacific Northwest, as we've found out with the Warriors and everything else, like they're, you know, in Portland and, and all those other teams, that they're, it's a really good part of the country to have the NBA, and I think another franchise out there would be great. Yeah, uh, we aren't alone, of course. Many, many feel this way, including uh, the uh, the uh, jump, which we which we played some sound from with Rachel. Well, here's another member of the show, Richard Jefferson, giving his opinion. Seattle needs a team there. You played there. I played there. It is one of the best basketball places. And it was and, and the reason why the team left was because of politics, mm-hmm. not what you saw in Brooklyn. And they couldn't get people in the stands and they needed the ship. It was pure, like, obviously, billion dollar politics. But that's why they left. I don't care who the second team is. I just want a team back in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it, too. Like, Seattle didn't lose the team. Seattle didn't fail to show up, didn't fail to support, didn't fail to fill the arena. There were a couple reasons. The main one was uh, they were bought, and the the man who bought the team wanted to move them to his hometown of OKC. And because of the stadium. The stadium was an Mm -hmm. issue. Uh, Clay Bennett, instead of wanting to invest in the stadium and make them – even greater in Seattle, he wanted to go to OKC, uh, where he's from, his native Oklahoma. And uh, now that they have the Seattle Kraken, the NHL team set to start play next season, uh, the arena has been renovated. It's up to NBA standards if they do have the opportunity to get another team. So they're in prime position and ready and waiting uh, to welcome the NBA back. And I don't know, like, 
I, I think technically OKC till, still traces back to the Sonics, so they wouldn't be the Sonics, would they? Or would they be allowed to say, um, you know, we'll we'll take our Sonics history and take a gap in the middle and let you begin as OKC and start from there? Would they be able to keep the same name? You That's think? what I'm because, wondering. Well, I mean, Oklahoma City changed the name when they got there. So I don't, I mean, unless there's some sort of, like copyright or some sort of legal reason, I couldn't see why they wouldn't be able to be the Seattle Supersonics again. I mean, that that name is synonymous with that city. Like, I, I don't see if there's any sort of reason why they couldn't have that. I mean, it's, it's history, and it's just it would just be like how the Raiders, you know, I mean, they kept their name in multiple moves. I don't know why they didn't keep why the Sonics Supersonics right, didn't the, keep their name. Yeah, that's the thing though is that it, because they didn't keep the name and because it's a whole new city, it feels like it's just a new franchise. No one looks back at the history of the Sonics and traces records in OKC to that iteration. Sure. I don't think so. Um, one of the interesting things, if you remember from earlier this year, was Kevin Garnett talking about one of his dreams would be to reform the Supersonics, uh, which how fun would that be? You know, you get all the history, all those great players that were there, and then you get uh, one of the smartest, most interesting guys to play in the league uh, to take an interest and in, in, in be a part of that. That would be pretty cool. Um, our producer, our intrepid producer, says he believes the Supersonics name was left to Seattle as part of the deal to get out. So good to know. Uh, I would so like it's to left there it. and they can pick it back up. I would love for that to happen. Yeah, from the Spain article that I read, yeah. it said that they left the name and the colors of the jersey were left behind to Perfect. Seattle. Dig it. I would love to see that happen, although it sounds like it's uh, meow, not a while so away, but at least maybe a little he, bit later. He gave us a little bit of a tease, though, so I think he it did. does give you There's some hope, hope to hang There's on hope to. There's hope Seattle. Might be a uh, while, but. Coming up next, remember the name Josh Rosen? He's still in the league, but now he has a new team. The great Adam Amin going to join us in about 15 minutes. Try to convince me it's worth putting my faith and my heart back into my bulls. A couple changes over there. I haven't watched him in a while. It's been too painful. Always love talking to him, so that'll be fun. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio has you covered for bowl game action. Tune in tomorrow for the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl, presented by Merrill. Coverage begins at 2.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You guys remember Josh Rosen? You know, former top 10 quarterback. Uh, 10th overall pick in the 2018 draft by the Cardinals. Then they decided, meh, moved on to Kyler Murray in the very next draft. So they traded him to Miami, where he didn't look much better. And then he signed with the Bucks practice squad after being cut by Miami. Well, now he's on to another team. The 49ers, riddled with injuries, are signing him off the Bucks practice squad. He's going to uh, back up C.J. Beathard, who's supposed to start as both, obviously, Jimmy G is hurt and Nick Mullins now as well. Courtney, it's been a journey for him in a very short amount of time. I think our concerns that he was getting done dirty maybe are less so than before because he's had a couple spots where if he had shined, he could have had an opportunity. Now you just have to wonder... What's the difference between what we saw from him at the collegiate level and why there were such high hopes and what we've limitedly seen, I just made up a word, at the NFL level? Well, yeah, and if he's even going to get into this game. Because um, right now their depth chart before the signing was just C.J. Beathard. Like you said, like is he going to start over him? Is he, you know, is he capable of doing that? He has been learning under Tom Brady for some time, so maybe that would lead you to believe that that's possible. But, um, 
is this his last shot, would you think? I mean, he's bounced around, and some of it is to no fault of his own. Like, you know, Arizona had new management. They were going to draft a quarterback. Anybody could have saw the writing on the wall there. They were quarterback overloaded in Miami when he got traded there. So, I mean, it wasn't – those things weren't his fault, but – you know, I don't even think my I don't even think the Bucks situation. I mean, what could he have done? Tom Brady's gonna play there. I mean, he got experience to learn under him in practice, but you know, this is probably it. Like if you can't start at some point, I mean there's two games left for a team that, you know, is all but out of it at this point. Maybe this is his chance to kind of audition for one last shot at a starting job that he could take on next year in 2021. I'm not sure, but, you know, it's a product of injuries. They had no quarterbacks. It's weird to see his name resurface because it doesn't feel like that long ago he was, you know, the 10th overall pick in 2018. Yeah, I think it's tough to say because the only redeeming, you know, quality or possibility that he would have longevity beyond this, even if he doesn't hit it uh, with the with the Niners, is his intelligence, right? And that was one of the things that was used against him during the draft process. And and quite often we see that, particularly in football, this idea that a player is too smart or a player has too many interests outside of basketball. That's a bad sign in sports and in the NFL when a guy likes things other than football, has interests in and thoughts about topics outside of it. And that's why I was partly bummed that he hasn't had any success, Courtney, because I love people who kind of are able to shoot down that theory and who are able to disprove the idea that you can't be an educated and smart and interesting person and also care a lot about sports and give your give your all. Um, so the only way I could see that working in his benefit now is that backup quarterbacks are very often uh, used to really help the starter understand the playbook to work with them in practice and to work with them in film sessions. And, you know, that's part of the reason that Josh McCown keeps getting jobs every single year because he's an easygoing guy who is smart and, and helps guys with their progress with, you know, coming along. Um, We haven't heard that about Josh Rosen, but that doesn't mean it's not the case. Um, That would be where I think he manages to hang on in the league. Um, But it's, it's a real disappointment to go top 10 and have had a career like he's had so far. No, absolutely. I mean, that's that's why I feel like this is probably the last shot if he is going to have a chance to be a starting quarterback. But like you said, being a backup, A, is probably one of the best jobs in sports to be a backup quarterback. You just have to have the cerebral ability to be the guy that can, A, boost the confidence of your starter and also help them see things that maybe they're not seeing. You know, it's a great job. You get paid well. You don't have to be the guy who – all of this falls on your shoulders, but um, you know there've been a, there's been a lot of like chips stacked against him. You know, a lot of people haven't mm-hmm. really been in his camp since he got into the NFL. And like we said, it's it's not all his fault. Maybe a fresh start here. It feels like we keep talking about Josh Rosen and a fresh start and, and change of scenery and all that. Maybe a fourth time's a charm. I'm not sure. Yeah, and and you know uh, that could have it's had such an impact on his development that it's the main part of the reason why he struggled. You know, which is which is too bad. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, wanted to ask you quickly. It seemed like you had some insight when we chatted about this pre-show about the special teams coordinator uh, for uh, the Lions, uh, uh, Braden mm-hmm. Coombs, getting fired. He went against. Uh, head coach Daryl Bevel's decision to punt in the fourth quarter of their loss to the Titans went for a fake and just didn't tell anyone. <laughs> they came up just short of converting the first down. It felt like Bevel was tor- sort of biting his tongue after the game about that. And yes. Coombs is out. Uh, what do you make of that? 
Well, it sounds like it wasn't just this isolated incident. I watched the press conference with Daryl Bevel yesterday, and my colleague, Mike Rothstein, asked him a series of questions at the beginning of, you know, were you aware of the punt? And I guess, of course, they all have situations. They have every situation you can dream of, imaginable, walked through and sorted out before this game happens and what you would do in said situation. Um, And I feel like the fact that this caught – Every coach and anybody who had a headset on by such surprise, it was a rogue call, um, was really the straw that broke the camel's back. It wasn't the sole reason he had been fired. Um, This is somebody who, you know, his father was a famous coach uh, for a while, Kerry Coombs, and, you know, he, you know, came up through under him. So whether you want to believe certain angles of nepotism and, and how he got his job, whatever, but it's very clear to me that this is something that has been going on for a while. And you have coaches on that staff who, you know, are trying to get out of the shadow of Matt Patricia and trying to audition, whether it's going to be to stay in Detroit or for 31 other teams, like Derek, like Daryl Bevel said, Um, you're not going to let one person ruin that chance for everybody because of whatever his decision was to do the rogue punt that got completely blown up um, the rogue fake punt. So, smart decision little weird because I think that caught everybody off guard why you guys have two games left why are you doing it at week 15 at the end of week 15 but I think as you're starting to see more and more uh kind of the picture that was being painted behind the scenes it's more than just the Tennessee loss this has been adding up for a while yeah whenever you hear culture fit uh where they just talk about the fake punt being the final straw for some Mm -hmm. percolating issues you know that there's probably a little bit more to it and uh, and never ends with the Lions. There's always something going on there. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz. We want your input on Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, uh, Spain and Fitz Nation chiming in, at Sarah Spain, at Courtney R. Cronin, at Spain and Fitz. We need some worst-case scenarios. And here's how I started thinking about this. I was watching the Browns the other day, reminded once again that they have Cody Parkey after a doink. And I thought to myself, if the Browns have this season where they get a ton of wins, they feel like they finally turned the corner – They can put away all those jerseys with 25 different quarterback names on them and embrace Baker Mayfield and feel good about their, you know, coaching situation finally. They make it to the playoffs, and they lose in the playoffs on a Cody Parkey double doink. It would be like all of the ennui and and tragedy of the Bears combining with like like superheroes with the tragedy and ennui of the Browns in one terrible worst-case scenario. So I want to hear your worst-case scenario for NFL teams. And I do not want to hear Patrick Mahomes is injured. Nothing with injuries. We're not accidentally cursing anyone. We're not predicting injuries. Injuries will not be involved. It needs to be a worst-case scenario that is much more clever than someone just getting hurt. For instance, Chris Mitchell, our producer, said, the Jets beat the Browns, so the Browns miss the playoffs, and the Jets lose out on Trevor Lawrence. That is a worst-case scenario for both teams. So submit yours. I'm sure Courtney's got some uh, percolating, to use that word again in in, in one minute, uh, about the Vikings, who, by the way, I haven't mentioned once, lost to the Bears. Oops, I just did. Coming up next, can anyone make me a believer in the Chicago Bulls, who I think should be relegated to the G League? If anyone can, it's the guy coming up. Speaking of respect, it's admittedly been a little while since I had some for my beloved Chicago Bulls, but... Maybe I should open my heart back up to them. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain with you. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. 
This past summer, I was watching The Last Dance. I got to reminisce, chat with all the old bulls, and remember the glory days. And it was as exciting as it was depressing, because lately I've been saying that the bulls should be relegated to the G League European soccer style for terrible decision-making, uh, just terrible front office uh, futility. And now there's so many changes that I feel hopeful again. And joining us now on the Shell Penzo performance line, Bulls play-by-play man just started that gig. And, of course, you hear him all over the NFL and other places too. Adam Amin. Adam, I know you are incredibly busy, so I very much appreciate you coming on. And I need you now because I feel like I'm – I feel like I'm risking my heart by putting it back out on the line for the Bulls. Why should I do that? You need me now tonight. You need me more than ever. I'm here to give you <laughs> a little bit of hope, my friend. Uh, I know, honestly, that I can understand why there are Bulls fans that are jaded. There are Bulls fans that feel hurt. Uh, there are Bulls fans that are somewhat distrusting based on certain front office machinations over the last several years. I understand that. I would never discourage anybody from feeling those feelings i would tell them that based on track record of the three big changes in the front office that have been made arturis karnashovas comes in as the executive vp of basketball operations mark eversley comes in as the new general manager after a uh, what i would consider to be a successful turnaround in philadelphia and to bring in Billy Donovan, who won 61% of his games in Oklahoma City with a constantly overturning roster. So based on the track records of those three, I feel like there's at least reason for the benefit of the doubt to be given to this front office. The organization, the roster, essentially is the same as it was a year ago, adding Patrick Williams as a number four pick. Again, another kind of out-on-a-limb type of pick, as many in this draft were, and so far in the preseason, he's looked very sharp and so far paying dividends. So I, I think those are reasons to feel like there is a, an understandable level of optimism if you want to take that track. And I feel like, Sarah, it, it, it's a nice time to be cautiously optimistic. <laughs> hey, Adam, I, I'm just guessing uh, with the start of the season that this is certainly new for, for everybody and trying to figure out how you're going to call games, how different it's going to be. How different is it going to be? Do you get to travel to all of the road games? I know a lot of, um, you know, throughout other sports, you've got radio, TV announcers broadcasting remotely um, on a delay, things like that. What is the process going to look like for you as a play-by-play announcer this year? Yeah, I I imagine it's going to be very similar for us as it was for teams around Major League Baseball this past summer. You know, local and regional TV and radio won't travel, at least that we won't be traveling. So we'll have a studio set up here in Chicago when the team does go out on the road. Uh, you know, it's, it's not ideal, certainly, but, again, it, it's – I keep trying to remember the perspective. Hey, I'm happy to have the position. I'm happy to be in the position. I'm happy to have the job. So I'm just happy to call the games. But at the end of the day, this is still trying to have a large-scale operation take place during a pandemic. And that's uh, – I, you have to keep that in mind. You have to have a certain level of flexibility – whether you're a front office member, whether you're a head coach, you know, who knows what, what the roster is going to look like day to day. I've talked to a couple of coaches about it already, and they've said, you hold your breath sometimes every morning, you know, hoping that all these protocols get passed and everybody's got a negative COVID test and they're okay to go because we don't want something to get hit, uh, someone to get hit. We didn't realize it. Now it spreads through the team. Uh, you know, several teams have had some issues like that. So I understand all the precautions that are taking place. We'll be able to call games from the arena starting tomorrow night when the Bulls have the Hawks at home. 
uh, will be there. We're, we'll be away from the, the court. That's plenty. You know, the, that's very cool for us to be even be there. And then when, when the team goes on the road, we'll we'll just deal with the circumstances as they are. There's a lot worse ways to, to be able to you know do your job. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, talking to Adam Amin, who's on the call for the Bulls starting this season. Hometown boy uh, does good. I love this. And the Bulls open up their season tomorrow night against the Atlanta Hawks. I remember we talked to, I think it was Kevin Harlan during the bubble, and one of the things that he said was so weird is that usually when you're screaming with enthusiasm about a crazy player, a last-second shot, you're screaming over the sound of thousands of people. Um, How weird is it? wherever you are when you're calling these games to just be screaming and how does it affect your calls? Weirder, I think to be in arena and to try to generate a, the right amount of noise. Cause then you're like, <laughs> you're trying to make a call on a Zach Levine dunk and Zach Levine might look up at, into like our <laughs> broadcast section and be like, I didn't like that call at all, dude. That sucked. <laughs> like, I don't like, who knows? Like I, am I, am I going to get rated? Is somebody going to hold up a sign? Like, I think it's easier actually in studio when you're I, and it's definitely odd in both circumstances, exactly to, to what you mentioned, Kevin saying you're usually being matched by, or you're trying to overmatch the crowd and it's fun. You're, you're able to let loose because the fans are letting loose and you're reflecting the mood of the arena and the mood of the situation. But when you're by yourself in a room by your, when you're by yourself in a studio setup, you, you have to generate your own energy. And I've gotten used to that. You know, we've done NBA games in VR uh, out of a studio. I got to do that this past summer. When I started doing Major League Baseball games this past summer, you had to do it remotely. And, again, not ideal, certainly, but understanding of the circumstances, and you, you just adapt. You're teaching yourself how, you know, where to look on a monitor rather than where you would typically look on a court. You have to kind of retrain your, your eyes a little bit. And eventually it starts to become a little bit more natural. And that's the hope as the season goes on for me and for everybody else who's who's got the opportunity to do this. I feel like I blinked and Laurie Markinen's already going into his fourth season. Uh, yeah. and no no extension done before the deadline, which was to, uh, yesterday, the 21st. So mm-hmm. he's headed towards uh, restricted free agency next offseason. Where do you think his motivation is this year, and, and what is there for him to prove? I know that throughout the preseason he talked about wanting to be in Chicago long-term, wanting to get a deal done for an extension by the 21st. Obviously nothing happened. Mm-hmm. What's next for him? Yeah, the word motivation got used a lot when Lowry was asked about it, you know, and, and I do respect that he wants to prove himself. I, I think his motivation is a couple of things. I think he was very frustrated the last couple of years because he came in first couple of seasons out of the gate, firing up three pointers. It seemed like he, he had had an opportunity to do what he did at Arizona and be a freelancer a little bit more, have the ability to step outside and shoot. I mean, the guy hit 103 pointers. Uh, it, I think faster than every anybody else in NBA history. I think he was the first to 100 or the the fastest to 100. So to have that type of feel over the course of a first, let's call it season and a half, in the NBA, and then have your role, your dynamic, your, you, you, I think just the I would, I would say role. Yeah, have your role and dynamic in an offense, and and have it completely and drastically shift. I think that's frustrating for somebody like Lowry Markin, who felt like he was starting to gain some traction in this league. And I think second is money. You know, like, again, he, he was hoping that he would have security. I don't mean, like, to say he's a greedy person. I'm, I'm saying for the sake of security, I feel like that was something he really wanted. He just had his second kid. I think guys are affected by that emotionally, especially in a time now 
or who knows what the NBA salary cap is going to look like in the next couple of years. Uh, I feel like those are pretty standard motivations for an athlete and for somebody like him who really wants to prove himself and show that what he was as a rookie is what he can grow from, not what we've seen over the course of the last, let's call it, 20 months. Adam Amin with us. He's the play-by-play man for the Bulls. Trying to convince me to get back on board with my team. It's been a rough watch of late. Uh, We're running out of time, but I wanted to quickly ask you, what would you think is a successful season for the Bulls this year? Uh, It's hard to want to generate uh, an opinion based strictly on wins and losses, right? It's a weird season. I know what what, uh, this team is up against. It's still a very young roster who's trying to learn under a new coach. I think if you see marked improvement at the defensive end, while not losing offensive production from a player like a Zach Levine, and you have a rock-solid point guard season for Kobe White, and Wendell Wendell Carter shoots a little bit better. I think those are the three developmental things that you have to look at rather than just wins and losses. And, of course, get a look at that first-round pick and see if he was worth moving up the draft board uh, higher than most folks had him, uh, Patrick Williams, I'm speaking of. Adam, thanks for the time. Looking forward to hearing you on the call and taking a little uh, toe into the water again before I fully dive in. <laughs> I'll, I'll be here when you're ready to hop into the pool, Sarah. We appreciate you. Courtney, thanks a lot. Thanks, Adam. Uh, the great Adam Amin, you, of course, hear him uh, calling NFL games as well, but really looking forward to hearing him regularly on the Bulls calls. Coming up next, the Surgeon General is calling out this NBA player to get the vaccine and an update on Florida's Keontae Johnson. It's coming up next. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain with you as always. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN and Sierra, ESPN app and Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Hear all the stuff you missed and also some pre-party and after-party stuff on special days. Um, we got an update. We've been talking about this story for a couple weeks now on Florida's Keontae Johnson and... Um, This was a terrifying moment, and thankfully, he's been released from the hospital now. Um, There were moments that there were were real questions about whether he would survive after collapsing on the court, and this was someone that we knew had at one point had COVID-19, but didn't want to speculate about his health. Well, now we know um, that they have released uh, news that he has been diagnosed with a heart inflammation, myocarditis, that may be related to that earlier COVID-19 infection. Myocarditis is something that we've, all of us, learned a lot more about in recent months. It's a, it's a, a virus of the heart, that uh, an infection of the heart that uh, has been seen in a lot of COVID patients and is extremely dangerous. Uh, he is expected to miss the rest of the season out for a minimum of three months. Um, there have been a number of athletes that have gotten this diagnosis and been forced to shut it down. Nicole, I mean, I mean, Courtney, I'm reading Nicole Auerbach's tweet. Uh, Courtney, this is uh, obviously not that surprising, but still just just so sad. Um, I don't think we can be overlooking how serious this is merely because of our relief about him surviving the incident. No, and I think that this is going to bring up a bigger question about the SEC in particular their COVID screenings, the protocols they go through, screening specifically for myocarditis if they weren't already doing it at this point. Because um, every, you know, every conference is different, as we found out with college football and the protocols for if you test positive, how long you have to stay out. The Big Ten had one of the strictest policies. The SEC didn't. Um, and now the inevitable, you know, after a player collapsed on the court, a really scary scene in the Florida-Florida State game, 
how are they going to remedy this so it doesn't happen again? Because COVID isn't going away just because we may have a vaccine in a couple months and players and whomever will start taking it. That's the thing I think that's kind of up in the air now and that the SEC is going to have to kind of do damage control here because when you see a player collapse in this new word, this new condition, even though it's not a new condition, but it's new to you and me and everybody else who had never known what myocarditis was before the Boston Red Sox player, whose name escapes me right now, yeah, tested positive. Yes, tested positive for it at the end of July or August. Um, you started seeing it pop up and you started seeing it being linked to COVID-19 and I don't see how you either don't increase the, you know, the strength of your protocol, strength of your testing, you know, the scope of it, or you end up potentially suspending play because mm-hmm. this is really serious. And yeah. it felt like this was the inevitable outcome. And you were just kind of waiting for that shoe to drop because why else would a, you know, seemingly otherwise healthy player just collapse going after going up for an alley-oop? It and, didn't make any and, sense. And interestingly too, and this is a totally non-medical opinion, it's just an, uh, something I've noticed. When we hear about athletes collapsing from heart conditions, it's almost always on a basketball court. We don't really hear about it. Maybe once in a blue moon on a football field, but I think part of it is the strain on your body going back and forth and back and forth without breaks, right? In football, there's those built-in breaks, and I wonder if that contributes to this being potentially a more dangerous condition for a basketball player. I don't know. It's just an interesting thing. You think about those moments where there have been undiagnosed heart conditions that have caused on-the-court collapses. To your point about the uh, SEC and 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 testing and everything else, uh, reading here from the Gainesville Sun, Uh, The story says um, Johnson tested positive for COVID-19 during the summer, along with several of his teammates. UF athletes who've been infected must complete a cardiac evaluation that includes an electrocardiogram, an echocardiogram, and a blood test that can reveal evidence of cardiac problems before being cleared to play, according to SEC protocols. The Sun reached out to UF Athletics Director Scott Strickland on Tuesday regarding Johnson's condition, but he was unavailable for comment. There is a quote at Florida... We do an EKG and an echo on every athlete that comes to us. So we have that on record already. So if someone gets COVID and we repeat this cardiac workup, we're able to compare back to what they were when they came in as a freshman or a transfer here. So we have a pretty good idea if there were any changes. This was from the team physician for Florida in August and said, there does seem to be more cases or cardiac effects from this virus than maybe we've seen from others. Although we're looking more closely than we have in the past. I think all of us are cautious about it. So until somebody from that program is able to speak out about whether or not he had undergone the tests as promised and whether or not there were signs of cardiac change between when he arrived at the school and post COVID, uh, that's meaningful information. And you can't know for certain right now that this acute myocarditis is related to the Mm -hmm. COVID, but it certainly feels like there's a predominance of of evidence and likelihood that it is, and you're right, it opens up a whole can of worms for that school, liability for these programs, um, for the conference and, and everything else, and and real fears, Courtney, beyond liabilities, but real fears for the athletes that are out there, especially in basketball, which we've seen has just been incapable of stopping cases. No. <laughs> it makes me wonder, like, how much longer the season's going to be allowed to um, to continue on. It doesn't make much sense that there hasn't been like an immediate stoppage until they figure stuff out. But again, this is why I thought the NCAA was going to put in some sort of universal protocol. Like when you leave it up to the conferences, it's going to vary from from group to group. And that's just like why I don't I'm not I'm I have a lot of skepticism. The season's going to be able to reach the finish line in March, no matter how hard they try and, and how necessary it is for them to get there. 
because this is scary. And now you have to like truly evaluate the health and safety and wondering if you're doing all you can for the student athletes that are going out there that are traveling and the staff and everything else that mm-hmm. uh, you're putting them at risk for right now. It's, I think it's honestly, you gotta, you gotta step away from the game itself and say, are we doing enough? Because this could have been, I mean, they're really lucky. This could have been a very tragic Absolutely. situation. Absolutely. And there's a, a football player uh, from Miami as well that had to miss the end of the season because of myocarditis. Something to keep an eye on. Uh, meanwhile, in other COVID-related news, obviously the vaccine uh, has begun to be distributed to many folks, and the U.S. Surgeon General is urging LeBron James to get it. Uh, thinks it would be a positive thing for fans and, and everyday people to see a superstar like LeBron James get the vaccine. I would agree in the sense that there are certainly... Um, very valid reasons for black Americans to be concerned about vaccines and vaccinations. Uh, they're historical and, and uh, very, very clearly now science and, and current times would, would inspire you to feel very confident in it. But I do think that seeing LeBron or someone else would be useful, but you, uh, you think maybe LeBron would make an announcement before doing so. He would do it for himself and for, anybody outside of this administration and without getting too political, I mean, this administration and, and people surrounding it have not been very kind to LeBron James. So I personally don't think he owes anybody anything. Like I know that we look to our superstars and we, to, to, you know, incite some sort of, you know, calm among the public that yes, this is okay. Look, I can take it. If I'm a world-class athlete and I can take it, you can take it. But um, I just don't think that there should he he would do it for anything tied to politics specifically with the current outgoing administration that just doesn't seem that doesn't add up to me. Yeah, I think the the good point is is that he can do it for all the right reasons mm-hmm. and not because he owes anyone. He can do it in spite of the very people that have been critical and unfair to him, um, and prove yet again that he's a guy who uh, leads in a in a meaningful way. Sets an example in a meaningful way. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. It's an interesting turnaround, an interesting about face to ask someone uh, with all that influence, please, please uh, stop dribbling and, and do something outside of your sport after we told you over and over again we didn't want to hear from you. Uh, coming up next, Lakers getting rings in front of the Clippers tonight. Uh, we'll talk about the feelings going on in L.A. tonight on opening night of the NBA.